Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Sports betting is sweeping across the country faster than the coronavirus, and Wagering Week is your antidote. I'm Tom Martin, and I'm a veteran sports analyst and respected sports handicapper who helped build ESPN's brand. I've been recognized and awarded by Pro Football Weekly and Gaming Today magazine as the honest handicapper. Let the other guys give you the same old boring sports talk with the same tired storylines. We'll give it to you straight here every Friday on Wagering Week. Don't gamble with other podcasts. Let Sports Garden Network's Wagering Week help your bottom line. We live in a nation of laws, but sometimes our chief law enforcement officers fail to inspire us. From the 1970s... Well, I'm not a crook. ...to the 90s... I did not have sexual relations with that woman. ...to the 21st century... I'm an extremely stable genius. You're about to hear a libertarian and a progressive try to make sense out of a legal system that some say is a polarized train wreck. With Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks, this is Too Many Lawyers. Welcome to Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. I guess, Connor, we could call this the start of the Bunker Diaries. We could. We could. We are sheltering in place, although the bunker really games. really right. Yeah. No? Right. Hunger, hunker Games? Hunker Games. Hunker, hunker games. games. So sheltering in place, Dang, I think, good. is known uh, when there's an active shooter and you're you know, in the closet and so on. This isn't exactly that. Hmm. So I think shelter in place sounds wrong, and I don't think it's, it's commonly being used. The Los Angeles mayor's announcement was safer at home, I believe. Safer at home. Okay, so that's that's the uh, actually no, that was Cal of California. Phrase. That was Gavin Newsom's turn of phrase. Okay, okay. So whatever we the terminology is that we're here at uh, Lawrence and my house. Uh, Connor is lucky enough to be uh, hunkering down mm-hmm. here with us for the duration, and uh, we want to talk to you about legal issues having to do with coronavirus. Uh, coronavirus is hazardous to your legal health. Uh, we're going to get into price gouging and government emergency powers. We're going to get into the Americans with Disabilities Act, wage and hour stuff, uh, workers' comp claims, OSHA, family leave, unions, evictions, drones overhead watching you if you leave your home. That's happening down in San Diego. Every step you take. Yeah. Every breath you take. That's right. Class actions, uh, the homeless pose unique issues, bailouts. We're going to get to all of that. But... Before we do that, I really think since we're such cinemaphiles, Connor, we should share with folks the films that we've been watching. As On a, a more a, personal note, yeah, right. I mean, yeah. you've got nothing to do in a bunker as, except. As a family, we, we watch a, a movie every night. We, you know, we also watch things like uh, 
the West World Show, and of course, Better Call Saul. But oh, those are films. Both good. Mm-hmm. So here's the list, uh, and we'd love to hear from you. Uh, what what list of you uh, movies have you watched? But here's ours: L.A. Confidential, the classic. Hard to a watch. Young Kevin Spacey. Yeah, hard to watch. Kevin Spacey um, walk a young gay actor into uh, a bad situation in Hollywood uh, by sort of lying and bullying and exerting his influence. It was unusual. Yeah. Looking backwards, not a fun scene We saw Mr. Roberts. Mr. Roberts. Oh, my gosh. Henry Fonda, William Powell, Jack Lemmon. Not my favorite. (laughs) Jimmy Cagney. Oh, it was wonderful. That one clearly adapted, in my mind, from a... uh, uh, a stage play and because it was adapted from a stage play it has a lot of those things left over that oh carry gosh. over with it like static I scenery I must have seen it 40 times when I was a kid how could you have seen this movie 40 Los times in Los Angeles the million dollar movie on channel 9 played 9 times a week every evening at 7 and twice a day Saturday and Sunday and Mr. Roberts was one of them and it was fabulous oh we've seen God. The Last Picture Show and Heartbreak Kid which TV does sucked back then uh, that's incredible I would disagree uh, Heartbreak Kid and uh, Last Picture Show sounds I know like a Sybil Shepherd film festival and doggone it it was so it only next sounds up, that way next up Taxi Driver and when I mentioned that to a family member they said oh no you're you're confusing Sybil Shepherd with Jodie Foster no I'm not they're both in it they're both in yeah. the movie so we're going to see that and finally we saw Five Easy Pieces with a very young Jack Nicholson very uh, young this is like 1971 all these years 70 I think all these years I had no idea what Five Easy Pieces is meant. I had never right. seen the full movie. I'd just seen, of course, the restaurant scene. Uh, oh my gosh, fabulous. Anyway, let us know. Uh, we've got a, a website uh, that is a uh, an address, an email address uh, for our podcast, too many lawyers podcast at gmail.com. Now the key is the two in too many lawyers is spelled T W O, at least for now. So two T W O, too many lawyers. Uh, uh, podcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you doing. Thoughts on coronavirus, certainly, but also what movies are you watching during this most interesting time? So let's get right to the legal issues. Price gouging. Connor, uh, Los Angeles City Attorney Mike Shure, who mm-hmm. would like to be mayor, he recently announced, is going who after wouldn't? the violators. Yeah, well, I don't know. I don't think Governor Newsom would like to be mayor. Good point. But uh, so Amazon is selling a bleach. Uh, two quarts are for bleach are going over $100. A couple of liters of hand sanitizers, 149 bucks. Now, are, are you a free marketer? Are you a libertarian when it comes to, to prices? Let the market price float? Or well, are you into these laws? The law says if you go above a 10% increase on a price during an emergency, you be gouging and you are violating the law. Yeah, and I mean, the conceit of the pod is that I'm the progressive. So it's pretty easy for me to come out and say, <laughs> obviously price gouging is bad, and I think governmental intervention, that is a law that criminalizes doing it, is a good thing, and it solves these problems. Because it, it now, the obvious and easy uh, categories of items like food, for example, people aren't eating more right now than they were oh, two weeks ago or well, two months ago. They aren't going to the bathroom anymore either, but they sure are loading up on and toilet that's a paper. Great example: people aren't going to the bathroom more. The disease doesn't even have any you know toilet paper related implications. It's one of the, the few symptoms it doesn't have, right? So there's. There's no reason to be hoarding toilet paper unless you believe for no good reason that suddenly toilet paper is going to stop being uh, created. 
And that's why these price gouging uh, rules and why hoarding are, are problems. You have human nature leading people to think, well, I can make a buck here yeah. and leading people to think, well, I can hoard here and not thinking about the the implications it has for the other consumers out there in the market who have to now buy at a ridiculous price because there's none left on the shelves uh, because it was either hoarded or gouged up. And that's that's the serious uh, problem here that the government can step in and solve. Yeah. Now, I could play devil's advocate too. You know, I could step back and say, well, if you want people to start making more surgical masks, hand sanitizer, whatever else, then allow them to raise the price uh, on it, and then that will cause people to join the market. Well, you know what? People are going to join the market if if the price of hand sanitizer goes up 2%. Oh, so you're not going all Milton Friedman on us. No, I'm not. I'm no, not you, like, we're going to find very few people supporting uh, the price gouging. Especially uh, once you have a reasonable number like, oh, 10% increase is okay. Right. That allows us to think, well, people should be uh, – there's economics concepts of – uh, sensitivity and flexibility. You want people to be priced and and and. So it's the emergency that you you think justifies this. And on March well, four, no, Los yeah, Angeles exactly. County declared a state of emergency, yes. and the laws against price gouging did go into effect. Mm -hmm. Criminal penalties, civil liability. You can go to jail for a year, a ten thousand dollar fine if you charge a hundred bucks for bleach, mm -hmm. uh, five thousand dollar fine per violation. Plus, they can get an injunction and restitution. But it is against the emergency because, for example, hypothetically, Connor, on Pebble Beach along the eighteenth fairway where they play the fancy golf tournament early every year, at least they did before this uh, crisis, yeah. um, there are homes. And there are lovely, nice homes, of course. But for the week of the tournament, they'll charge 100 grand, 200 grand for that week. Right. That would be okay in your yeah, mind. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's not price gouging because the, the situation is not So you're saying a, the Bing Crosby clam bake is different from a coronavirus Outbreak. National emergency. Outbreak, clam okay. bake. They seem similar, but they're actually We agree different. on that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's talk about federal government power uh, in general, where you have this public health emergency. Because folks are asking, you know, what exactly can they do? Right. Uh, they can basically do what's necessary to treat or prevent the disease. They can impose quarantines. They can isolate individuals that are known to be infected. Uh, you can have broad lockdowns of groups of people in hot zones, uh, even without confirming infections among the people. Uh, overview of emergency powers would be you know, international travel bans, yes. State and local orders that are shutting businesses down, yeah, we've seen that. Individuals to uh, avoid groups and, and even stay home, you can do that. Yet to come, we haven't seen, Connor, restrictions on interstate travel in Arizona, California. Intrastate travel, San Francisco to Los Angeles. That may be around the country, uh, around the corner. Uh, interestingly, uh, the Supreme Court weighed in on us years ago, like a century ago. They said citizens may be required to be tested or vaccinated. For example, the smallpox vaccine. Uh, there was a quote from Justice John Marshall Harlan. He said the Constitution does not give an absolute right to each person in all circumstances to be free from rest restraint. Uh, a community has the right to protect itself against an epidemic. I mean, you think about it. Well, of course, I mean, the draft during a war certainly interfered with people's privacy. So I guess folks shouldn't be surprised that there are pretty broad powers out there. Absolutely. And and the U.S., we we already gone through this in, in minor form when we were convulsing over the tragedy of the civil rights violations committed by the Chinese government uh, two months ago. 
When two months ago, everybody was writing Washington Post op-eds and New York Times editorials uh, saying, well, what about people's rights in Wuhan where they're being restricted and they mm-hmm. aren't allowed to leave their neighborhood? Uh, sure, they're just locking down the whole neighborhood and the government is trucking in food and saying, okay, well, we're going to truck in food and masks and medicine and support your, your uh, hospitals, but uh, you can't leave the, the district. Um we were thinking, oh, man, is this terrible? And, and our thinking has so evolved as soon as it gets close to home and we start to think about the implications that our politicians months later start picking up on it and thinking, wow, this is actually. Hey, America, Christopher Hahn here, the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. What is with the president and the right wing echo chamber encouraging these astroturf protests against stay at home orders around the country? It's ridiculous and it needs to stop. Check out the Aggressive Progressive Podcast wherever you download podcasts. Very real uh, when epidemiologists and virologists have been saying it's real the whole time and we should be looking there. Um, But we're now seeing that there are even more drastic steps, of course, taken in China and other places that we have not yet taken here that we're going to have to contend with. Uh, Andrew Yang, uh, uh, formerly a presidential candidate, now no longer, but probably still uh, going to be involved in politics. No longer. Forward. He's still alive, right? Yes, yes. He, he just, just dropped, no longer just a dropped out. <laughs> I thought, were, um, I thought you were giving us a horrible news. A horrible, horrible news. Yeah, no, no. Andrew Yang's fine, everybody. Don't worry. Uh, as far as I know. Uh, so he actually uh, tweeted uh, about a... Um, uh, a, a relative of his that had just landed in an Asian country from the U.S. Um, from uh, they were escorted by police from the airport to their apartment, hmm. uh, where they an alarm was put on their door, and they're not allowed to leave for two wow. weeks. A government worker visits what them every day. About a bracelet day. on their ankle. <laughs> I'm, why? Why bother? If you could just put it on the door, right? A government worker visits them every day to deliver food and take their temperature until their quarantine's done. Wow. Now, that is the sort of yeah. extreme well, measure that we may see, see coming down the pike here in the U.S. And we're going to see the military getting involved, maybe. There are limits on the military getting involved. Uh, Congress has passed the Posse Comitatus Act uh, of 1878. It banned the use of armed forces for performing domestic I, law enforcement activities. I love the names of 1878 laws. Yeah, they really the knew how to name Posse Comitatus? Yep, this exactly. is a, I, I guess posse meaning like... The, you know, round up a posse round of sheriffs. Round up a posse, I guess. And, but there are exceptions. Here's the key. The military can be used to enforce some federal laws to quell domestic rebellions. So you can bet there is going to be an effort by the Trump administration to use the military where they think uh, appropriate. So that's what we're talking about in terms of broad powers. When we come back, we're going to talk about some of the federal laws like OSHA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, your workers' comp rights here on Too Many Lawyers. We do want to remind you, though, please subscribe to Too Many Lawyers, uh, rate us. Yeah, and if you use iTunes, you can leave us a review and, uh, you know, like, how many stars you like, and of course we're great, so you should probably max those stars out. Did you feel um, like an Uber driver? Now? Oh, absolutely. Please, Please give me five exactly. stars. Absolutely. We're, we're to, these days we're all Uber drivers. So we're going to be back with too many lawyers. Stick with us. We are back with too many lawyers, Royal Oaks and, and Connor Oaks. Oaks, talking about the coronavirus. Is it hazardous to your legal health? Uh, the Americans with Disabilities Act. 
So it says, if you've got a disability, the boss has to make, quote, reasonable accommodations for you. That's the mantra uh, for leave, uh, adjusting your attendance requirements. Now, the flu, the general seasonal flu, is not a disability under the ADA, but the coronavirus may soon be deemed an ADA-covered disability. And so uh, there are rights uh, of the employer during a pandemic. They may ask the employees if they've got flu-like symptoms uh, and be sent home if they have them. They may ask the employees, are you coming back from a location where the virus was present, even if the travel was very personal? And they may require, the boss may force you to take a medical exam if he or she reasonably believes that your medical condition might impair job function or threaten other people. In terms of reasonable accommodations, you're entitled to insist on uh, remote work, uh, you you may insist on that uh, if if that's what you feel you need. Uh, then there are going to be some interesting questions about whether the boss may require you to take your temperature. So uh, what, what do you think, Connor? If you were on the job and if the boss came up with a thermometer, would you would you be okay with the, uh, taking the temperature and uh, letting him log it in into the Book of Life? See, this is this is a, a, a tough question. In my personal life, I've never had to face. Uh, the fear that my medical condition could affect my um, employability um, or in, in, in affect the way that people regard me at work. But for somebody who maybe suffers from chronic illness, the idea of a, a boss collecting medical information about them might be very scary uh, and cause anxiety and you know make them feel unsafe and feel right. like they might be fired. Right, if you've fired. got a dread disease or if you have something that makes you uninsurable, or yeah. uh, then those things could have big long-term impacts. But right. I, I guess the answer to that might be, well, gee, we're just waving a little wand over your forehead to see how hot you are. That, that doesn't exactly brand right. you with and, a scarlet and, letter. And uh, that's why I think, of course, uh, there's, there's, no, there's no need to make the, the perfect be the enemy of the good. Uh, in a pandemic, uh, having your temperature taken when you move about the world or interact with other people or go to work um, is probably a necessary evil. And in fact, probably uh, a net good because it might give you information that you didn't have otherwise. You might also learn the results of this and see, oh, oh my gosh, I I have a fever when I didn't know I had one. Because that, of course, does happen. So I can totally say, you know, with, with confidence and in this specific scenario, I would have no problem with my temperature being taken. But I do recognize that this is an erosion of what we would consider the normal course of business, the normal way that we protect people's civil liberties in this country. And, and, and we, is, we're going to have to make changes. And it is a little bit of a gray area because the ADA and state anti-discrimination laws do generally bar employers from doing medical exams unless it's job-related and consistent with business necessity. So a lot of folks are going to say, of course, you know, this coronavirus thing is so big, it's related to every job and yeah. we, we've got to do it. I mean, I think this goes to one of the bigger themes of, of this episode and of our last episode and probably a lot of the episodes we've got coming in the future. It's which of our laws that we're currently working with will survive this epidemic. I mean, this is this is not only an epidemic for people, this is an epidemic for our legal system. We are going to see changes in employment law and all these other categories of law where it, they interact with the possibility of a pandemic. We're going to see governmental power expanded for a long time before we see it uh, retracted again. Whereas, you know, I mean, th- this is a, a common... Uh, process that happens in emergency scenarios. If you look back at 
the most you know notorious or uh, example is definitely 9/11. Right. In our lifetimes, there has been no greater expansion of governmental power to collect information about people and to violate civil liberties and reshaping of what people think the societal norms about what our civil liberties are, wh- what rights we do have or should have. We had a huge debate, a huge debate in the years following 2001. About torture. And, and, theoretic- torture and theoretically this could dwarf the effects of 9-11 because 9-11 as horrible as it was was a single event we were very worried in the subsequent weeks that it would be the first of many fortunately it wasn't but this isn't a single event uh, and a lot more than 3,000 people are going to die as a result of coronavirus as of today as of this uh, recording uh, we've got 500 deaths in the US we've certainly got more than 3,000 deaths uh, worldwide, worldwide right. you can have more than 3,000 deaths in just Italy alone. Uh, Italy, of course, being one of the hardest hit uh, countries in Spain, following closely. Right. All right, let's talk wage and hour issues. You know, overtime stuff, minimum wage. What are your rights on the job? There are two kinds of workers on the job. There are the non-exempt employees, not the supervisors. These are the folks subject to the usual overtime minimum wage rules. It's such a bizarre phrase, but yeah, the the, the legal terminology for the normal worker is the non-exempt worker. Why would you say that? But that's how they say it, because you've got exempt and non-exempt. Exempt from the traditional rules. Whereas the exempt worker is the supervisor. Type. So let's talk about the two. The non-exempt, the, 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 most of the folks on the job, they only have a right to be paid for the hours they actually work. So the boss can cut back hours. Uh, if you work from home, you're going to have to keep track of your time because you can still be entitled to overtime. You can get your meal and rest breaks. I mean, it seems a little weird. You're sitting around in your pajamas on your computer working from home. But if you are non-exempt, as most people are, you get your overtime. So you keep track of all this stuff. And these records go in the book of life. They get recorded. And a lot of times litigation results, wage and hour litigation, class actions, if the boss doesn't do right by you, allegedly. So then turning to exempt employees, they get the same salary, regardless of the number of hours they work generally. And if the boss doesn't pay them, then they get morphed, transmogrified into non-exempt folks who get the right to have overtime. So Yeah, and that's this bizarre concept where we think of, well, I'm either an exempt employee or I'm a non-exempt employee, but that's not how the law works. The law looks at how you're treated and then decides, well, you've been misclassified if you are treated as one category when you really were more like another because the way that you are treated is really what determines your legal status. So it doesn't matter. Your employer can shout until the cows come home that you're an exempt employee if they want, but if you're treated like a non-exempt, that's what you are, and that's how employment law works. And that's what the you know wage and hour violation lawsuits are frequently about, misclassification cases, they're called. When we come back, we're going to tell you whether you can file a workers' comp claim as a result of catching coronavirus, can't work, and so on. Can't wait. This is Too Many Lawyers with Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks. Stick with us. And by the way, please don't forget to uh, rate us and subscribe to us and uh, review Too Many Lawyers. That way you can see every episode when it comes down on Wednesday. Well, you can technically hear, not see. That's a good point. You can visualize. That's a good point. We'll be right back. We're back. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. I'm Connor Oaks. We're talking about whether or not the coronavirus is is hazardous to your legal health. So workers' comp claims. 
the general idea is for an illness to be compensable under workers' comp, you have to have gotten the illness in the course of your employment. So if you're sitting around and you happen to catch a cold from your coworker because he's in the next cubicle and he doesn't use the Dracula sneeze, you're not covered by workers' comp. It may sound like it's in the course of employment, but it really isn't. It just happens to be that thoughtless Bert was right next to you and he just sneezed all over everybody. But if a, you are a healthcare worker and you contract the virus while you're treating infected patients, that is a workers' comp claim, a theoretically a valid claim. So you, you want to figure out your rights on that front. A disability, of course, is also part of workers' comp. If you are sick not because of the job, uh, your disability benefits might nonetheless be payable if the employer provides such benefits. So it's a situation where you need to talk to the boss, find out what your rights are under workers' comp. And, of course, there's an abundance of information on the Internet about, uh, about workers' comp benefits. Yeah, my first uh, job in all of the law, before I, even went to, uh, uh, before I even went to law school, I was a clerk at a workers' compensation law firm. And uh, it was uh, a uh, it was for firemen and policemen mostly public service employees, mm -hmm. uh, and that turned out to mostly be firemen and policemen. So it was just the most depressing cases you can ever sure. imagine. It was just people getting shot and burned, and then not getting their workers' compensation benefits. So that was a lot of fun. To Unlucky first responders were yeah, your clients. It was yeah. pretty much the grimmest possible timeline. So yeah. OSHA, Occupational Safe and Healthy a Health Act, uh, basically requires a safe place to work. So the boss is responsible for safety violations if he or she was negligent, uh, if the effort to control the circumstances that might lead to coronavirus infections, uh, if that was insufficient, if the employees are required to do tasks that exposed them to the hazard of the virus. So you need protective equipment. I've seen uh, talk about lawsuits by janitors now because they're coming in uh, and trying to clean up all these areas where some people are still working and uh, they're organizing and they're saying, you know, uh, we've got to be ultra protective. And, and we're not really getting that kind of protection right now. So, so OSHA is involved as well. Family and Medical Leave Act, FMLA, uh, is a, a big-time uh, law that protects people. Uh, if the uh, employer is covered by this act, it doesn't cover every single employer, but if so, they've got to give you a leave from the job, a job-protected leave, and other benefits if you uh, need to miss work due to a serious illness to yourself or if you need to care for a family member's serious illness. Now, here again, there's a distinction, Connor, between regular old seasonal flu and the coronavirus. If it's just the seasonal flu that is causing you to miss work or you have to stay home to care for somebody, eh, forget it. You don't get the Family Medical Leave Act help. But the coronavirus, it looks like it is going to officially qualify. Yeah, I mean, this seems that. like one of the easier slam dunks on how is this law going to change. Right. We know that this virus is having a massive effect on our society. It's changing things in, in, in tons of ways. And there's just no way that the federal government is not going to use the FMLA uh, to prosecute uh, employers who don't give uh, job-protected leave. That is, you can't be fired for taking this leave for people who have to care for coronavirus uh, victims uh, themselves or their family members. So it, it's it's this is one where we can, uh, though not your lawyer, confidently tell you this is how this is going to work moving forward because there's just no way. I mean, the the tide of 
government, step up, do your part, save us, is is swelling. It's an enormous uh, rising tide of, 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 of attitude in, in our society from the left and the right. I mean, you see it from conservatives, too, who are saying, you know, even if they, they like the government actions— there are very few people out there saying, step back, government, let, you know, let us figure this out on our own. We'd like to die in our bunkers right. without your help. And by the way, uh, Connor's point is a, is a good one, uh, that we're not your lawyers, just to, to be official here, we want to say. <laughs> uh, we are not giving legal advice here. We're discussing general legal principles. Yeah. And no attorney-client relationship uh, exists uh, by virtue of us chatting with you and you hearing us and, and giving feedback or whatever uh, just to get that on the record. More bad news, by the way, about the uh, should change the name of the podcast to I Am Not Your Lawyer. <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> the Family and Medical... To be very clear. Yeah, why not? Uh, and it's catchy, too. It is. The Family and Medical Leave Act is not available in a couple of circumstances. Number one, if your kid is at home because the school is shut down and you got to care for the kid, it is not... Uh, does not give you a right under the FMLA to have leave. In addition, if you, being very prudent, are staying home because you think the uh, air at your workplace is clogged with coronavirus molecules, forget about it. You're not getting Family Leave Act protection under those circumstances either. But there are a lot of uh, circumstances where you do get it. So So that's uh, a big distinction. I mean, most people now, currently still, even though despite Gavin Newsom saying uh, late last week that he predicts, as his people predict that 56% of Californians will get it. But most people right now don't have coronavirus. But that doesn't mean, uh, or rather, if you're just being safe or if you're staying home because you need child care, that does not count as right. job-protected leave under the FMLA, and you're not going to be protected. And to digress just for a moment, of course, the, the 56% of Californians will get uh, coronavirus in eight weeks. Statement by Governor Newsom has gotten a little bit of pushback. It's a little controversial. Some people, for example, say that uh, since a great majority, I believe a majority of people who get the virus will have either no symptoms or very minimal symptoms. Some people thought, well, maybe he's he's crying wolf. Uh, Brett Stevens, the conservative but never Trumper columnist for the New York Times who flipped over from the Wall Street Journal, had an interesting column, I think last Saturday, where he said, um, now let's let's just hold our horses here. We have to try to figure out if we really have enough data to support these projections that are that are extremely dire. And his point is that politicians love to say, oh my God, the, the, the sky is falling because either A, it turns out it did fall and they are seen as prophets, in other words, reelect me, or B, it didn't turn out as bad as it, we thought it might be and they are seen as saviors. So you can be cynical and say that's how politicians roll, we don't know whether uh, yeah, Newsom I is wrong. Yeah, I personally, or not. studiously ignore everything Brett Stevens writes, but that's okay. <laughs> you know, we all have our, our preferences on that front. Uh, but you don't like Never Trumpers, Connor? Yeah, that's not my problem no? with him. Uh, but whether or not Newsom's projection of fifty six percent in eight weeks is accurate, it is pretty easy to step back and say broadly, okay, the sky is falling. Now, Mm -hmm. in what way is it going to fall and how quickly is it going to fall? You're right. We definitely need more information. And I think the left and the right are definitely coming together on that to see and to say we need more information in the form of testing. We need more information in the form of tracking and tracing the way South Korea uh, tracked and traced its citizens with with, uh, uh, testing because 
that's how you find uh, remaining outbreaks uh, and, and, you know, hotbeds of infection. And that's how you can deal with um, a more granular policy moving forward in time as opposed to the whole of state, the state of California must shut down immediately. You know, everybody who's non-essential stay in your homes. That can't last forever. And eventually we will have to be relaxing uh, those rules before the vaccine is created, likely, as the vaccine is likely between a year and 18 months away. This is, I think, the big topic of conversation that has begun to dominate the airwaves as of this week, the week of the 23rd. Um, This week, the headlines and, you know, Trump's press conferences and especially conservative headlines have started to say, we think the impact on the uh, economy is so bad that we might have to make changes that are less than optimal in terms of controlling the mm-hmm. virus in order to protect the economy. And of course, the pushback from the left is saying, well, what you're telling me, what I'm hearing is, Mr. Millionaires and Billionaires at the top of our economy and our political system, you want the poors to go out and get sick and die uh, to make sure that you can make your boat payments. And I'm not going to do that. And so that's how the left is reacting to the conservative political elites who are you know, sounding an alarm about the economy. But in reality, we have to think about both. We do have to think about the economy. Yeah, you know, I'm more in the, hey, you can't make the poors die so you can make your boat payment camp. Well, but I recognize that the economy is a consideration, even if it is, in my mind, subsumed underneath the moral considerations of health. There's a very frustrating and healthy debate, uh, let's uh, put it in a nice term, in the, the Senate right now. And by the yeah. time uh, you hear this podcast, hopefully the Senate will God iron willing, it'll out. be resolved. But you know what? Without taking sides, because you know you can make an argument you, you for, for Mitch. It's fine. You, you can take sides. No, I'm not going to take sides. All I'm going to say is you this: you can't make an argument for Mitch. You, you can make an argument for Mitch, and you can make an argument for Liz Warren, uh, talking about billionaires and so on. Mm-hmm. But come November, the voters are going to look back over yeah. the last six months, yeah. and they are going to make a the decision. The voters that are still alive at that. The point, ones yes. that are still alive, hopefully the vast, vast majority, and they are going to make a judgment as to who played politics business as usual, and who actually buckled down and tried to save lives and save the economy and save America. And I don't know which side they're going to come out on, but I have to tell you, my guesstimate is that if somebody comes across on the left or the right as just you know, just going after the expedient partisan, you know, jab and impeded actually getting the right thing done as quickly as possible. I think they're going to get slammed in the head by the voters. And so whoever it is, left or right, I think they just have to look out for that. Let's talk about union members. Um, there are a few union members out there still, Connor, aren't there? After that Supreme Court decision? One or one, two. Yeah, the one that yeah. said you can't use all the dues for the political yeah, stuff. one yeah. or two. So there are some union members left. So you should know if you're in a union and if the boss tries to change things because of coronavirus, your wages, your hours, in terms of employment, notice has to be given to the union unless the collective bargaining agreement already happens to cover this kind of weird circumstance, and some of them do. So it's just kind of word of the wise uh, in case uh, big changes start uh, to happening, start to happen. Uh, finally, let's talk about evictions. Uh, it's kind of shutting down, Connor. Uh, you got three dozen anti-eviction measures across the country in recent weeks, and a lot of people who are you know, behind in their rent now or about to be behind because a lot of folks out there are paycheck to paycheck, and they're not getting a paycheck from millions of employers. 
And coming I, up first I, of the month in about a week. Yeah. So we've got about a week before the government, uh, the federal government, in my mind, if I had to put my money on it, I would say that the federal government um, either instructs the states or tries to pass a law, which I think would not probably hold up to Supreme Court scrutiny. Um, but the Senate might do something extreme just so that it looks like they're doing something uh, and might go along with what uh, Democrats might want. Um, maybe in the next week, as the clamors about rent coming up, uh, you know, being get louder and louder. I think in the next week we're going to see a moratorium on rent payments. We've already got so much talk about a moratorium on mortgage payments, and when you think about it, who is in a better pay- a position to uh, make a payment? It's people with mortgages rather than people paying rent. Generally, people with mortgages, especially post real estate crash. Uh, in 2008, once we recovered and homeownership rates are lower than they used to be, uh, unless I'm wrong about that, uh, people are more able to make a payment if they've been making uh, a mortgage because they're better off. Well, and we're seeing a bunch of moratoria on new evictions around the country. Now, I realize there's a risk when I use the word moratoria. Uh, years ago, uh, I heard a, a, a professor use the word auditoria. He was talking about two auditoriums, and we <laughs> thought this guy is the most pretentious pretentious guy in the world and now here years later i'm using the word moratoria yeah anyway there's a big move in san francisco that's gonna be the thing that tips you over into the elitist out of maybe not camp and a lot of other things so san francisco (laughs) mayor london breed don't you love the name london breed Uh, he ordered the tenants have to show uh, that their hardship is directly uh, related to uh, covid19 but if so he wants a a moratorium on on the uh, the eviction process so this this is definitely a, an evolving story, yeah. one of that is of great interest to a lot of folks who not only know that they've got to find money somehow to uh, buy food, but they also have to pay their rent. Not to wave my red communist slash socialist flag too, you know, highly and brightly, but when you think about it, we've got a moratorium on mortgage payments. Landlords, not not as a four-letter word, landlords, but just mm-hmm. landlords um, are in a position where they can borrow against the equity in their in that property or sell that property if they can't make expenses. Well, Whereas I think it makes sense. Yeah, I, I hear your I hear luxury. your your point. I think that it makes sense. For example, uh, to cut off the twelve hundred or two thousand dollar payments that are going out. I think they're setting up like seventy five thousand bucks. So if you make more than seventy five grand, you're not going to get these checks. I think mm-hmm. that's what the government is thinking yeah. about. So in that sense, it, it makes sense to draw a line. But you know, I think it's it's kind of dangerous to rash to generalize. Um, there are a lot of tenants in America who are able to pay several months ahead. There are a lot of landlords who are literally on the edge. I remember when I was a kid, my father decided he wanted to invest some of his money and we bought a six unit apartment house. And we went over there, and you know, we would fix the stuff, and I helped him. Uh, Father was a doctor, do with right? maintenance. So yeah. he, he had a day job, right, right, right. And it, as a result of that, I, I got kind of interested in, uh, in in landlords, folks who who bought apartment houses. And I learned that whereas my dad was lucky, he had a little cushion because this was you know not his day job. There are a lot of people who that's all they've got is a a six unit or a two or three unit apartment. And they're like their tenants on the edge. So I don't know that you can generalize and yeah. say, oh, well, you know, these rich, fat cat landlords, their Uncle Scrooge well, swimming I in their mean, money bin. Let them just take out a mortgage on their uh, apartment. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. So it, 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 
it's hard. There was to a generalize. great conversation on Twitter this week, where in uh, the the hottest take I saw of the month, and this is the month of COVID, right? So we're looking at hot takes right. all across the month. The hottest take I saw was. Uh, okay, so you're criticizing uh, the people who are coming out and landlords who are coming out and saying, "Look, this is my only source of income. Right. I'm, you know, I I need rent to keep afloat." And people's response to that was, "If you're saying my only source of income is rent, you're just, what you're saying is I don't work. I don't produce anything. Mm-hmm. I just collect rent on people." The you, response you just provide shelter to people who would otherwise die <laughs> right, of, right, of right. the freezing cold. The response right. to that was. Oh, that's wow! You're right. Criticizing people whose only income is rent is ableist, because what about disabled people who can't work for a living, mm-hmm. as opposed and, to the temporarily abled? Sure, if it, it's ableist to criticize people whose only rent is in, is uh, in, only income is rent they collect because they might be disabled, and that's why they can't work, and that's why they can't collect. And everybody's response was, "Come, come on." That's the dumbest crap I've ever heard. You can't just say, therefore, all landlords get the protection that a disabled person should get. Like, we def- we don't apply the same safety net to every person. Now, I can't go get disability because I'm not disabled. When comment, that situation comes up, we'll talk. Your comment about how, you know, this is March, the COVID-19 is the topic yeah. triggered a, a fun memory in my head from last month. Uh, when Super Tuesday hit, of course, everybody right. was just totally into Super Tuesday. That's yeah. what we're obsessed with, you know, Biden and Sanders and so on. Or maybe it was early March, but it was several weeks ago. Uh, Google did uh, a little study. They wanted to find out what was the most popular search on Super Tuesday. Mm-hmm. What what was the one thing more than any other topic that Americans, uh, maybe around the world, I don't know, but at least Americans wanted to know wanted to know about on Super Tuesday? Yeah. You want to guess as to what, what it was? Uh, is it okay, Biden or Sanders? You'd never guess. It's Hillary Clinton's emails. Quote. Hillary, that Come was on. the topic, uh, the number on. one topic of all. So it just shows, Connor, that some things just l- ah. linger in people's minds. Okay, you know you what? Know? We got so much to talk. I yeah. can't wait. We got to do another COVID episode because we haven't done universal and basic income emergency. We haven't done. That's, oh, uh, we're, we're going to get back to, to coronavirus. We haven't done insider trading on the last, uh, you know, on, so, on information before the coronavirus hit the U.S. shore. So we'll see you next time. But you know what, what he, Connor's just too shy to mention this, but the reason we have to stop now is that uh, up on the screen, it's Sean Hannity on Fox, and, and I think Connor wants to watch. Yeah, that's it. That's 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 what I'm going to be looking at. We'll see you next time on Too Many I'm going to drink some of that $100 bleach. <laughs> Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. You can live out your MasterChef dreams. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.